Hello, and welcome to Being True to You. I am your host, Lynnae St. John, and today we have a fascinating guest. His name is Alan McNair. He is a master student at the Maharishi University of Management. He is a certified wellness recovery action plan facilitator. He's an artist and the author of a book called I Dream of Amoresh. It is an epic poem. He is also writing the sequel to the book called The Secret Book of Pando Bay, and he's also completing a third book to make it a trilogy. The topic for today's interview is the excitement of self-publishing, but I want to tell you a little bit about him first because his story is quite fascinating. So he actually suffered from acute anxiety, and he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. However, through the practice of transcendental meditation, the positive changes came along. He is going to talk about his insight into his thinking, his emotional process, his personal awareness, and the need for continued change and growth toward encouraging positive behavior. He says that with the tools of a scientific procedure, such as the TM technique, which is transcendental meditation, he also used spiritual guidance through teachings of the Baha'i faith and learned the concepts of the wellness recovery action plan. He significantly improved his life, and he emotionally thrives in an admittedly challenging world. Applying the techniques that he will be talking about is going to definitely be a sign and give people hope for anyone struggling with a mental illness or plainly dealing with everyday stress. So he was a um, published writer of a short and epic poetry. He also illustrated his own work using markers um, and acrylics. He has written and published a major work uh, called I Dream of Amarash through Create Space and Author House. And Author House is actually um, the same publisher that I published my first book through, so we have that in common. That's cool. Um, he did contribute his earliest written work to Threshold's literary, uh, excuse me, literary magazine, The Musing Place, and also to the Chicago Writing Alliance publication called The Journal of Ordinary Thought. In 1990, he was straight out of, out of Columbia College in Chicago with a bachelor's degree. He lost his job and he became homeless. He said much of his early writing of poetry was inspired by the shocking experience of losing his housing. He is now enrolled in the Maharishi University of Management Master's Degree Program in Vedic Science, the theoretical basis for transcendental meditation, and he lives in a one-bedroom apartment with his cat, which happens to be a Siamese yellowtail named Butterscotch. So, Ellen, welcome to my show. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for being here. It's really exciting to hear from you and to be on your show. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you. You're most welcome. So give us a little background about your story. You know, what happened in your personal life? Uh, you had talked to me about your father's depression. He used alcohol to self-medicate. He threatened to leave your family. How did that impact your life as a boy? And start from that place, and then we'll continue, okay? Okay. Well, because of his self-medication with alcohol and his uh, subsequent threats to leave the family, 
I lived in a very unstable environment where I felt that I didn't get the support from him for the social endeavors that I engaged in. Um, when I was in high school, I mispronounced a uh, word of Spanish and was ridiculed by that. So um, feeling insecure about going on to college and being away from home, I turned my anger towards this student inward and decided to try to jump out a third floor window, which my teacher stopped me and she brought me to the counseling center where I was diagnosed um, and evaluated to go to Lutheran General Hospital for schizophrenia. Wow. Wow. And how old were you when this happened? I was about 18 or 19 years old. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, you have mentioned that you have traveled around the world and that in January of 71, you visited England for a month and you met a beautiful female college student who was studying witchcraft. Tell us about that. Okay, what I experienced was a doppelganger experience, which means that I met up with a body double of the person who was in Dublin, Ireland at the time that I met this other woman looking exactly like her. We danced for several numbers, but all during the time that I was with this beautiful young lady, she never spoke a word. So because my friend was dabbling in witchcraft and instructed in it, I felt this was a bit of white magic where she produced a body double to accompany me on the dance floor. And I was quite intrigued and fascinated by the experience and not scared a bit. Wow. That's amazing. I've not quite heard of anything like that before. Yes, it was a bit of white magic, I believe. Or this person could have been a spirit guide just um, watching over me and making sure that um, I didn't get into any kind of mischief or trouble. Right, right. So in 1970, actually November of 70, before you even went to England, uh, you began your healing journey from, you know, when you attempted to take your life, jumping out the classroom window and all that. So when you began your healing journey, how did you do it and what prompted you to do it? Well, I used to go to um, these uh, bookstores and I particularly like paperback books. So I was intrigued when I saw a psychedelic-covered paperback book called Science of Being and Art of Living. And then it was um, authored by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, the founder of the Transcendental Meditation Techniques. There he explained that this was a beautiful, scientific, and delicate procedure that anyone could learn when taught by a certified teacher of TM, but it could not be learned from books. So I sought out a teacher, which I found in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Charlie Donahue, who taught me the technique. Wow. So how long did it take for you to learn that technique? It was a simple process of an hour and a half teaching and then follow-up of an hour and a half sessions of practicing the meditation and learning certain pointers of experience based on that experience, how to uh, correctly practice the TM technique. So the follow-up, how many follow-up sessions did it take? 
four follow-up sessions. Then what you did was when you paid for the technique, which at that time was $35, you earned a lifetime guarantee that they would check your meditation to be sure that it was done correctly and innocently for the rest of your life. Wow. And so you still practice it to this day? Yes, I do. That's awesome. Very awesome. So when I was introducing you, Ellen, um, I had mentioned that you were involved with the Wellness Recovery Action Plan the abbreviation for that is RAP, and I do all the, the uh, things that I'm doing right now are actually acronyms. I'm, I'm putting together seminars, and I've even written a book that has acronyms in it. So the Wellness Recovery Action Plan called RAP is very cool. I love acronyms. Can you tell us about that and what that is? Yes. The Wellness Recovery Action Plan is a consumer-based, peer-facilitated action program that helps you to perform activities that you normally do when you're well during your uh, times of stress that help you to get well from your unstable situation. When people are in early signs of distress with these activities, they stabilize themselves and um, become better functioning. These are facilitated by people themselves who have learned the RAP uh, program and facilitated in a series of uh, lectures in a classroom setting with other people who have mental illness. So you yourself are not a facilitator of this program? Uh, I was trained in that program um, by Nanette Larson, who is from the Department of Human Services Mental Health Division. Uh-huh. Okay, so you don't you don't teach classes yourself. I have taught a class at Association House for a period of about uh, twelve weeks. Awesome, awesome. How was that experience for you? Did you impact a lot of people? I'm sure you did. Yes, we had a class of about fourteen people, and each one of them eventually graduated from Association House to be fully functioning individuals after um, some time after their course. Wonderful, wonderful. So how does it help those struggling with mental illness or even dealing with everyday stress? We have what's known as a wellness toolbox, which has a series of exercises that like journaling, um, art expression, um, talk therapy, these little activities that we do when we're well, we actually practice when we're inside of distress and it helps us to recover from our mental illness. Yeah. We know that um, RAP has within it the words AP, app. RAP right. is not RAP without an action plan. Ah, very good. I like that. Very good. All right. So in other words, you have to, you can't just wish for something to change your life. You have to take the action and the effort to help it change your life. Exactly. Awesome. Awesome. So you had um, explained in the biography that there are five 
pillars of support in your life that give it meaning. What are the five pillars in your life? Number one, it's a means of self-discovery is provided by the Transcendental Meditation Technique. Number two, there's a means of spiritual guidance is provided by the Baha'i Faith. Number three, a structure of personal support network of friends, relatives, and mental health care professionals who support me. Number four, a positive structure of time spent earning a livelihood, such as my bagging groceries for Mariano's French Market, and creative pursuits such as life drawing, prose storytelling, and prose writing. Very cool. I like that. So there's a lot of different ways to heal. So somebody who might have gone through the same experience that you've been through, they can do more than just one thing. They can do art. They can do talk therapy. They can do journaling, whatever it is. They don't have to just do one thing. Yes, and usually these are activities that can be done for free. You don't have to pay anybody to learn to do these activities. Exactly, exactly. Awesome. Very interesting. So what inspired you to write your book called A Dream of Amoresh? It was a very vivid dream that I had in high school in 1965. And in it, this woman uh, came to our world. Unfortunately, she contracted the disease, and she was survived by her husband and her daughter. And she, like me, was, um, she suffered an accident in space which stranded her on our world. So she, like me, was homeless, and that resonated with me. And so just as I eventually um, improved my life to actually be a contributing member, she herself on this world eventually became a village seer and through paranormal powers helped other people. Wow. And what exactly, this is going to sound kind of silly, but I have, um, I have no shame and no pride. So I'm going to ask you, I've heard of Amoresh before. Where is that? Well, Amoresh is a word that I coined by my own dream. When I woke up, that name came to me. So um, it might be of some other um, origins, but it wasn't conscious of my part that it had any origins other than my own brain. Interesting, because I swear I thought that I had read somewhere or somebody had told me that Amaresh was a city somewhere or a country or I'm probably just making myself look totally stupid, but that's okay. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because Amoresh is um, similar in sound to the word America. Ah, okay. That makes sense. Interesting. So where can people find a copy of your book? It's available online both at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Wonderful, wonderful. Do you have, um, can they buy it as a paperback or just an e-book or both? It's available as an e-book and a paperback book. Wonderful. 
And how long ago did you write it? Um, I started writing it in 1992, shortly after I started to improve my life from homelessness. And um, I did line drawings, black and white, 1992. But then in 2012, I decided to do color illustrations and made separate drawings of color illustrations. Um, so by 2014, I had my final draft through Author House, the way I like the book to be composed. Wonderful, wonderful. So tell me, what, what circumstances caused you to be homeless? And when you were, how long were you homeless? I was homeless for about a year and a half. What happened was I was in an apartment that was very unstructured. And um, through a friend of mine, I had this apartment. Um, I lost the income to be able to pay for the rent and pay for um, the heat. And then uh, over time, uh, I lost my job working at Kentucky Fried Chicken within a block of where I lived. So I eventually went to shelters, including Lakeshore um, Shelter, where they said, if you want to continue living here, you have to show improvement in your life. And we suggested you go to a place called Thresholds, a psychosocial rehabilitation agency for people who need housing and need jobs. So there I was trained in their kitchen staff and eventually went through what was known as the Thresholds Theater Arts Program, where I would uh, do maintenance on theaters and also perform in the theaters. Oh, wow. That's very cool. So did you perform uh, in theaters when you were younger, like in high school or junior high or college? or Particularly high school in my junior and senior years, and then sometime in uh, college I did actually, I was a uh, guard in Macbeth. Oh, wow. Very cool. I was responsible for um, catching Macbeth's wife when she fainted. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Very cool. So I'm going to go back to your book for just a minute. You had said that you were writing a third book so that this would be a trilogy. Um, so the I Dream of Amoresh was your second book, correct? Actually, I Dream of Amoresh is the second book in the trilogy, but it was the first book written. And what is the first book called? The Secret Book of Pandaray, which is um, yes. chronicling the life of Pandaray, the evil woman that had machinations against Amoresh. Oh, there you go. That's right. Okay. So when is your third book going to be done? It's actually completed, but I was toying with having illustrations, but I decided that I would only have three illustrations for that book. Uh, the text carries the story itself, and it's about Herbert, a gnome that was just a minor character in the I Dream of Amrish, it was a major character in the secret book of Pandaray as Pandaray's paramour, and they had a child that looked amazingly like Amherst herself. Okay. 
Interesting. Okay. So you're getting this book published through Author House as well, correct? After um, some time that people become familiar with Amherst. Okay. All right. So you, the original idea behind the creation of your book about Amherst, that, did that just come from the dream, or was it because of other happenings in your life? It originated with the dream, but it was fleshed out by my other experiences. Okay, okay. And you had mentioned that the current book that you have has 25 chapters. You have a prologue, you have an epilogue, you have a postscript. How did this outcome eventually take form? Well, originally it was 17 chapters. I reviewed it with a friend of mine, Bridget O'Shaughnessy. She said there's more to the story to develop. So I developed another seven chapters. But then I had a recurring motif of a flower called the Amherst Rose, which was in each one of my chapters. And so it took me about 24 years to realize that the flower actually had an integral part in the demise of my character, which I won't reveal because people should read the book. Right, right. You can't give away everything. <laughs> Good. Not so at you, all. <laughs> you have illustrated your own books previously. Um, well, what happened was I did an anthology of short poetry called From Checker Cloth, and I did a watercolor based on that one poem from Checker Cloth. And then I decided since I knew I was learning my craft of art. I felt fascinated by other subjects, and so I included a gallery of about 12 different pictures to um, just flesh out the anthology. But then it was with Amherst that I decided to directly illustrate each poem. Interesting. Okay. All right. So um, I was going to ask you a question, and it just went out of my head. So give me a second. <laughs> you're just catching up with me a little bit. Um, oh, with Author House. Um, I was with Author House before they were Author House. They used to be called First Books Library. And when I got my first book published back in 2001, it was a print-on-demand book. So no books were printed unless somebody ordered them. Is that how your book is well? Is it, is it yes. a print-on-demand book? Yes, basically at this point it is. All right. Okay. Okay. So anybody that goes to uh, Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com, they can obviously um, get, download your book if they want the e-book version or they can order it there. Yes, usually what I understand is like people – Amazon will promote the book by saying, we have a limited number in stock. So they apparently carry a small inventory of the book. Okay, okay. Um, my, this is my understanding, and I'm not sure exactly if it's the same. But I actually, let me tell you this. This is, a, this is interesting. I was um, flying from Michigan to California one year right after I published my book, and I had some of my books in my carry-on bag, 
And we were standing in line to get on the plane, and it was like an hour standing in line. And I was talking to the lady in front of me, and I said, I'm a brand-new published author. Would you like to read a copy of my book? So she bought it from me, and I, when I got off the plane, she was still reading my book. She was in first class, and I walked by her, and she was still reading my book. And a few years later, um, I was on Amazon, and I saw that my book was being sold by one of the online booksellers that sell books, um, I guess, is affiliated through Amazon. So I wrote to this bookseller, and I said, hello, I'm the author of this book. Where did you get this copy of my book? And she said to me, believe it or not, my friend was standing in line in front of you at the airport, and she read your book and sold it to me. That's amazing. It was totally amazing. How how coincidental is that? And so I said, interesting. I remember selling that book to that lady. <laughs> well, I have a success story that um, I put nine of my illustrations into a gallery gift shop, and recently they sold one of my paintings, not really it's a book, called China Woman. And that was sold for $120, and I got $92 commission on that, a $72 commission. That's amazing. And it was just a picture from the book. It was actually not related to the book. It was an independent subject. Oh, interesting. Well, good for you. (laughs) That's great. Have you um, taken any of your drawings and and, um, talked to any local art galleries or art dealers to see if you could put some of your work in their galleries? I have, and so far Intuit was kind enough to um, do it. They're called the Intuit Gallery for Intuitive and Outsider Art. So the fact that I'm a self-taught artist fascinated them. That's awesome. How old were you when you started doing your art? Um... That was in 92. I was born in 51, so I was about 41 years old. Wow. Very impressive. I, I, one thing I always wanted to do was to draw, and my goodness, I cannot draw for the life of me, except I remember when I was real young, uh, the Berenstein Bear books that are for little kids. I actually drew a cover of one of the Berenstain Bear books, and it looked exactly like the cover, and I was so shocked because I can't draw at all. <laughs> I'm, like, very impressed with anybody that does art. <laughs> well, actually, I believe from working with people at the musing place that anyone can draw. They just have to have the passion and drive to do it. Exactly, and patience probably too, right? Patience as well, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Very awesome. So let me ask you, going back to some of the challenges you've had in your life because of uh, the schizophrenia, your father being an alcoholic, all the things that you grew up with, what are some of the lessons that you have learned that you would want your readers to learn to help overcome their own 
issues and life events? Well, I think one has to believe in oneself and one has to have something like a program where they respect your um, understanding of your own life and work with you in tandem to improve things. I would hope that readers would learn to serve humanity with compassion, that they would learn to overcome evil with good, um, that they would um, hope to create a world where men, women, and the creatures of the world can live in peace and harmony together in an orderly and peaceful world. Right. That's what we need nowadays, especially recently. It's been kind of like all hell has broken loose on this earth lately. Yes. And I want to throw out something rather um, scientifically proven but seems kind of wild and out there. It's called the Maharishi effect. And that means that people who meditate in groups together that are a certain portion of the population actually have been able to lower crime rates, uh, improve, improve the economy, um, lower uh, hospitalizations, all through the group dynamics of group practice. I totally believe that. Um, I actually consider that to be what I call universal thought because if you've got many, many people all believing the same thing at the same time, if everybody believed in love and acceptance and, you know, accepting diversity and not having prejudice and not being angry and not being bitter, if everybody did the positive things in life, this whole world would be a much better place. So I think universal thought, in general, the consensus of what most people think is what is creating such havoc in the world right now. Right. People are, don't have techniques like TM and mindfulness and relaxation, progressive relaxation available in their life to actually calm them down and bring a calmer environment. Do you believe that it's not that it's not available, it's that people are not aware that it's available? A lack of awareness on the part of the collective consciousness. Yeah, exactly. That's totally what I totally agree with you, 100%. I think it's really interesting about this Wellness Recovery Action Plan. Can people learn about that anywhere outside of... Um, any place, well, let me start again. Could people learn about the Wellness Recovery Action Plan outside of the Baha'i faith or outside of knowing about transcendental meditation? Yes, it's quite independent um, discipline from either of these practices. It's just a tool like limbs of yoga and working them together helps to progress and develop and grow as a human being. So, um, I would not say that you have to be a Baha'i to accept rap. You don't have to practice transcendental meditation to accept rap. And rap is easily available online uh, through the techniques that were taught by Mary Ellen Copeland. Okay, interesting. All right, then. So let me go back to when 
after you went through the suffering, the anxiety and that, and you were gaining insight into the mechanics of your thinking and the emotional process, what did you learn about those two topics? How do, what did you learn about how we create our thoughts and how they affect us? And also, what did you learn about your emotional process? One thing that I learned from the TM technique is that it's something that can be practiced independent of anybody's agreement of whether it works or not. It works quite naturally, and even a skeptic like Bob Roth found it effective. So, yeah. um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I interrupted. I apologize. Well, Bob Roth found that um, he didn't have to believe that it works for it to work. Anyone can learn the technique. They just have to be aware of its availability and go online to tm.org to find out more about the practice. Um, they can go and look up RAP, um, Wellness Recovery Action Plan online and learn about the process. Um, what I find is that a key to understanding one's growth is that what you put your attention to grows strongest. So if you put yourself, um, if you fill yourself with negative news that's going on today and put your attention on that, then of course your life is going to be stressful and disorganized. If you work on your own environment, such as the place where you live, and keep it orderly, then your mind will be orderly. Exactly, exactly. It's like um, the motto that I use for my life that I teach other people, it goes like this. You create your universe with your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And what is the advantage of the TM technique is that you go beyond thoughts so you actually be what you are, rather than just think what you are. Exactly. Go ahead. A thought is just a thought. You can think of yourself as a king, but you don't actually live the life of a king just on the thought of being a king. Exactly, exactly. So I think it has to do with the fact that we are human beings, not human doings. So no matter what we do, you know, we're beyond what we do. We're bigger than what we do um, because we're human beings. So I think that when you create your world with your thoughts and you have positive thoughts and you focus on all that is good and all that is good not only within you but around the world. If you think on the positive aspect of things, that's when you will see positive in the world. It's like people who do nothing but think negative live in a negative world. People who think positive, live in a positive world. It's the same world. It's just a different perspective. Right. There's a thing called globalgoodnews.org, I believe. It's online that provides news of positive happenings in the world to keep your mind 
active and thinking on those positive levels. And I'm sorry, what was that called? I want to write that down. Global Good News. Global Good News. Interesting. That was actually um, here in near Phoenix where I live. Um, they have a – it's sort of like a health food store, and they had a magazine in there that was always free. It was like a, newspa- a small newspaper. And I can't remember the title of it, but you could pick it up in the newspaper rack in that store – and every single article in that paper was all positive. There was nothing negative in it at all. And I used to love that. I thought that was such a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because there are things happening in the world that are positive and we're just not aware of it. Exactly. I get the feeling that most people are so focused on the negativity in the world because psychologically, it makes their own life seem less negative. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. What, we're, what I'm trying to do for myself is to fill it with more positive experiences and positive thoughts and supplant the positive thoughts um, over the negative thoughts. Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. So let me ask you this. If people wanted to talk to you or get direction from you or get advice from you or, you know, talk to you personally about anything, how would they be able to reach you? They would reach me through my, primarily my email account, alanmcnair123 at gmail.com. Provide what information they're comfortable providing to me, and then I can, from that um, email address, provide them with a number that they can call me and talk with me about their life experiences. Okay. Could you please spell your first and last name? Because I know Alan is spelled a couple different ways, and probably McNair is spelled a couple different ways as well. Okay. It's A. L L E N M C N A I R. Wonderful. And your email address again is Alan McNair one two three at gmail dot com. Yes. Wonderful. Now, can they connect with you on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn? No, they can um, be friendly on uh, Facebook, or they can actually um, ask me to befriend them. Um, there might be privacy issues about uh, connecting to me directly, but I think they can. Um, let me get the um, email address here. Um, Okay. Uh, it's um, www.facebook.com forward slash Ellen period McNair period 18. What were the last two letters after the second period? 
um, 18, the number 18. Oh, number 18, 1-8. Mm-hmm. Right? Allen period, McNair period, 1-8. Gotcha. Okay, wonderful. Well, I really, really appreciate you being on my show. It's been quite fascinating, and I'm really impressed with how you had the strength, the emotional and the mental and the spiritual strength to overcome such a rough childhood. I really, really respect you for that. And I really think that you impact a lot of people that you're probably not even aware that you impact. So I thank you for being on my show and for being the special and blessed person that you are. You're quite fascinating. Now, how can people connect with your show? Well, they are going to, people that listen to me on a regular basis, they will always find my show link on Facebook. They will find it on Twitter. They will find it on my website, which is www.ReneeLynnStJohn.com. My name is spelled L-E and like Nancy, E-L-Y-N-N-S-T-J-O-H-N.com. So ReneeLynnStJohn.com, you will find it there. And it will also be on SoundCloud so that you can download it. These shows are not, uh, excuse me, the, the shows are not live. They are only recorded. So what happens is I record them on Saturdays, and usually my son is the one that posts them on my face, or excuse me, on my website within about two days. So on Monday, you will find it on my website, and I can usually post it on Facebook and Twitter myself, and I usually do that on Sundays as well. So Sunday or Monday, you'll find it on my website, and you'll find it on SoundCloud. So SoundCloud, Twitter, and my site. Spell your name again, L-E-N-E-Y? Nope, it's just L-E-N-E, and then Lynn, L-Y-N-N, St. John, S-T-J-O-H-N, dot com. Okay. LenaeLynnStJohn.com. Yeah, St. John, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's okay, LenaeLynnStJohn. So um, you will see it on that website probably on Monday, but um, I will be sending you a link through your email, Ellen, um, so that you can mm-hmm. put it on wherever you want to put it. Um, but anybody that ever goes to SoundCloud, can uh, it would be www.soundcloud.com front slash being true to you all spelled out all small letters so b e i n g t r u e t o y o u that's the name of this radio show mm-hmm. Okay, so if you could um, also email me those links, then I can uh, provide them to my listeners. Sure, I will definitely do that. So, again, thank you so much for being a guest on my show, Alan. It's been quite a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and spending so much time uh, covering the details. 
Well, I really appreciate that, and you are most welcome. And listeners, please take care. Um, Stay tuned next week. We're going to have another great uh, guest on the show. And uh, just keep on keeping on. God bless you all. Take care. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye.